Good morning. I want to welcome you to the Bay Area Church of Christ this morning. If you are visiting, I want you to know that you are our honored guests. In case you have not noticed, this is an election year. You know, there's been more talk, it seems, during this election year than perhaps any other, at least that I can personally remember. There seems to be a lot of negative talk, this side versus that side. And it can really become kind of draining on you. One of the things that I find most frustrating is that people are calling my house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? People are calling the house and they're asking you all these questions. They're polling you. They want to know, well, what do you think about this candidate? What do you think about that candidate? What do you think about this issue? What about that issue? And often they ask, who are you going to vote for? They want to know, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Now, we're not going to talk about politics this morning. It's not about whose side you're on this morning. I encourage you, whenever you vote, however way you vote, let that be between you and the Lord. You pray about it and you vote the way the Spirit leads you to vote. And so it really doesn't matter this morning whose side you're on, but rather whose side is God on. That's really the issue that I want to discuss this morning. Well, some people might be tempted to think, well, clearly God would be on my side. Clearly he would be on the side of the political party that I belong to because these other people over here or over here, they are involved in X, Y, Z. They believe ABC. And so clearly God would be on my side. That reminds me of an Old Testament story. And I want you to look with me in Joshua chapter 5. My apologies, but I can't read that. You guys have your Bibles this morning, right? You're supposed to have your Bibles anyway, right? I often say if you don't have your Bible, you're underdressed. So you absolutely have to have your Bibles because you never know when some guy's going to get up and preach and mess up his slides. So Joshua 5 happens after the Israelites have been delivered from Egypt. Now they'd already been to the promised land once, but because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief, God made them wander in the desert for 40 years. And so now here they are again, back to the promised land for the second time. This is the night before the Battle of Jericho, and we pick up Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a, with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up and asked him, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as command of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence, and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the army of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy, and Joshua did so. Now notice what goes on. This is the night before the battle. Joshua sees a man with a drawn sword. And so he asks him the most obvious question: Whose side are you on? Are you for us or for our enemies? And the man's reaction, his answer, it's something I think we can take a lesson from. He says, 
neither. Now wait a minute, this is the night before a battle. Two sides are going to, they're going to fight and one side is going to win. So how can you not be on either side? You've got to be on one side or the other, right? Nope. He represented God. And God is above it all. Now, we know the Israelites are God's people, and so it might make sense for him to say, well, I'm on the side of Israel. I'm on your side. But he doesn't say that. He says neither. God is above all of that. Amen? It would make sense if Joshua thought that his answer was going to be, I'm for Israel. But I submit to you that it makes no sense for you to think that God would be either a Republican or a Democrat. I mean, do you really think God would be one or the other? No. I believe that would be absurd. So God is above it all. Maybe you've been caught up in this, the Democrat versus Republican thing, but it really doesn't matter who gets elected. You know that, right? It doesn't matter who gets elected because God is king. And that's where I want us to focus this morning, that God is king. We are members of his kingdom, first and foremost. Now, we are in church, so we know the right answers, right? We know what we're supposed to say. The answers are going to be Jesus, regardless of what the question is. We know the answer is going to be the Bible, regardless of what the question is. It's just a matter of how the question is phrased. But we all know the answer. But do we act like we know the answer? Do our daily lives reflect that? We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's an ancient kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. But it's a very real and very present kingdom. And you and I are citizens. We're citizens, and God is the king. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Verse 10 starts, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now let's look at this. Let's step through it slowly. He says, first you are not a people. But now, you're the people of God. I want you to let that sink in. First you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You know it doesn't matter where your citizenship is on this earth? Do you know that? Doesn't matter where you come from, now you're the people of God. Now look at this part where he says, we're aliens. Aliens. Whenever I hear this, I'm a fan of sci-fi. And so I don't just think of somebody who's in a different country. I think of somebody who's different from a different planet. Anybody watch sci-fi? You know, the aliens come down and, and they always look a little bit weird. They all dress differently than we do, but they all dress alike. 
never quite understood that. Maybe there's a, an alien uniform or something. They all decide, hey, when we go visit this planet, we're going to look the part. All right, everybody put on the gray jumpsuit. I don't know. But they look differently than the people that they're visiting. They talk differently. They behave differently. They wear different clothes. They have different values, and often they have a different loyalty. Sometimes these sermons just write themselves. You see where we're going with this? Before we get into a little bit more, let's do a little bit, little experiment. All right? Y'all with me this morning? Oh, boy. Okay, maybe. Maybe. Show of hands, and I know some of you are uncomfortable with this, and if you're uncomfortable, you don't have to raise your hand. Just kind of sit there, you know, with the, the look on your face that you have. That's fine. But how many of you are from a different country, different citizenship? All right. I see a few hands go up. A few hands go up. All right. How many of you are from some other state, not from Florida? Okay. A lot more hands go up. I'm a Floridian. I was born and raised in Florida. Thank you. Amen is right. Now let's do something. Let's do something. I need you to stay with me on this, okay? Specifically, how many of you are from Texas? Specifically from Texas. Okay, I see a couple of hands up. I see a couple of hands up. You said absolutely. We're going to get to that. Thank you. Your hand's still up. All right, I see the Longhorns. Now here's the thing. There's a surefire way you can tell that someone's from Texas. Okay? Seriously, no joke. There's a surefire way you can tell someone's from Texas. You know how? People will tell you they're from Texas. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. Texans will let you know where they're from. I've never met a state, a group of people from a state that are more proud of where they're from. Texans really seem to love Texas. They, they really seem to promote Texas. Now, I've been to Texas. It's a nice place. But I'm from Florida. But these Texans, I recognize they have extreme loyalty to their state. They're proud of it. What about you? Where's your loyalty? We're not talking about a state anymore. We're not talking about, you know, a, a different area. Where's your loyalty? I really want you to focus on that this morning. If you're a Christian, this state is not your home. This state is not where you're from. This country is not where you're from. This earth is not where you're from. This is not where your citizenship belongs. It belongs in heaven. Amen? We have to keep a firm grasp of that. We are called to be aliens and strangers. Church, we do not fit in. Now, there's some people who want you to fit in, but as Christians, we do not fit in. We don't belong here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, do not let, I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. Let me back up. Here's, here's what's important. I already said that aliens don't fit in. They speak differently. They dress differently. They behave differently. They have a different value system, and they have different loyalty. Now let's explore each one of those. Our true citizenship belongs in heaven. So as Christians, we're supposed to talk differently. Well, how are we supposed to talk? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, 
that it may benefit those who listen. This is how we speak differently than the rest of the world. The rest of the world gossips. They lie. They're self-promoting. But that's not the case for us. The Bible says for us not to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. That's how we're to speak. Now, I also said aliens dress differently. Let's talk about that. Dress differently. As Christians, we are to dress differently than the rest of the world. Now, what do I mean? Dress differently. Um, that mean we're plain clothing? Like dress up like the Amish? Like what, what are we talking about? Dress differently. Well, clearly there's a spiritual application here, and you probably know where I'm going. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that's what needs to be different by the way we dress. It's not about your pants or your shirt, but the full armor of God. We're called to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. We're to take up the shield of faith. The helmet of salvation, of course, the sword of the spirit, which is what, church? The word of God. You've heard me say that if you don't have your Bibles, you're underdressed. It's part of the armor that you're supposed to be wearing. We dress differently than the rest of the world. I also said aliens have different cultures, different practices. Doesn't that apply to Christians as well? Our society has turned into a culture that openly accepts immorality. Open acceptance. People seem more and more emboldened to display their immorality. Things that people used to be ashamed of, they're proud of it now. They put it on a magazine cover. They give these people a reality TV show. Church, we have a different culture. We have a different set of values. Our, our values are based upon the Word of God. Amen? You know, the world says that if you don't accept every lifestyle choice, if you don't accept it, that you're a bigot, you're hateful, they want you to change your way of thinking. They say you Christians are too closed-minded, and they want you to conform to their way of thinking. But we know Romans chapter 12 says, in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Church, we are to be transformed. You and I need to have a completely different value system than the rest of the world. We are aliens. We are strangers. Now, most importantly, we need to have a different kind of loyalty. Because first and foremost, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? This section of scripture always amazes me because oftentimes when I ask a, a teacher or an instructor, well, what's the most important thing? What do I need to know for the test? You know what they say? All of it. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that. Somebody says, what's the greatest command? Here's what Jesus says in Mark 
chapter 12, starting in verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because we belong to the Lord, we are called to be 100% devoted to him. Amen? 100%. It's a command, not a request. And Jesus goes so far as to say, this is the most important one. This is the greatest command, some translations say. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. We're commanded to love him with all that we have. All of us, with all that we have. So regardless of what our culture says is right or wrong, church, where's your loyalty? It's got to belong to the Lord. So it doesn't matter what our culture says, wrong is still wrong. And we have some things that are being pushed on us that the world says isn't wrong. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court decides. Wrong is wrong. Abortion is wrong. That is from the devil. It doesn't matter what we get pushed on us on TV. Sexual immorality is wrong. The Bible has made it clear. It doesn't matter how our economy works. Greed and materialism is wrong. Y'all got quiet. <laughs> materialism is wrong. God has called us to be devoted to him and him alone. Our loyalty must be devoted completely to the Lord. Now, some of y'all are with me. I think I might have lost some of you, but mostly I think you're still with me, all right? Hopefully you'll still be with me as we get a little bit deeper. Maybe turn up the heat a little bit. Hopefully you will stay with me because, I mean, we got a big holiday coming up, right? We got 4th of July. We're about to celebrate our nation's Independence Day. You know, I'm afraid, though, that some of us are putting our political affiliations ahead of our devotion to the Lord. I'm afraid some of us might even be putting our patriotism ahead of our devotion to the Lord. Why do I say that? How much time and energy do you spend talking about politics versus talking about Jesus Christ? How much time and energy do you spend talking about this country or the way this country used to be versus sharing the gospel with other people? Church, patriotism has its place. Absolutely has its place. But it must come nowhere near our devotion to the Lord. Now, even in this group of people, even in this body of believers, even in our own songbooks, we have songs that are not devoted to the Lord. They're praising this country. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm just saying I don't think we're going to sing those songs in heaven. I don't think we will. We need to be 100% devoted to the Lord and absolutely nothing Nothing must take his place. My concern comes from 
knowing the devotion that many of us have to our country, and I think it perhaps can go too far when we start talking about material things. When we start talking about a material thing, that is our flag. And I fear the devotion is misplaced when people get so worked up if the flag touches the ground. There's no problem putting the Bible on the floor. People have no problem standing to sing the national anthem, but when the song leader wants you to stand, now you're grumbling. Where's your loyalty? Now, the flag is just a material thing. This Bible is just a material thing. We do not worship the physical Bible. We don't do that. It's just a material thing. God didn't say it's a sin to put it on the ground, and I'm not trying to put that forth this morning because it's not. But if you behave a certain way towards a material thing that's patriotic, and you behave differently to a material thing that does contain the words of God, there's something wrong with that. Now, I hope that is not offensive to you. I really, it's not intended to be. If it is, I ask that you please forgive me, even though I'm not sorry. <laughs> please forgive me anyway. I want us to always be 100% devoted to the Lord. Nothing compares to him. Amen? Please don't get me wrong. We are blessed to live in this country. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. We're blessed to live in this country. I believe God has blessed this country immensely. But my citizenship and your citizenship belongs in heaven. We must keep sight of that. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. You guys haven't thrown anything at me yet, so I believe it's time to move on. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where we derive our identity. This is where we need to put our focus. So don't eagerly await the next president. Don't eagerly await the next Supreme Court decision. Eagerly await the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look at a parable. We've talked a little bit about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. Now let's look at something Jesus says about the actual kingdom of heaven, a way that he describes it in Matthew chapter 13. I don't have a slide for it. You will definitely need to turn in your Bible. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So there's a couple points I want us to look at. First, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Treasure can take any shape, any size. But it's always something of great value. That's kind of the definition of treasure, right? If it's not valuable, then it's not really treasure. So it's something of great value. And even though it was hidden, this man found it. But then he does something really clever. And I've always liked this parable because uh, I, I, would, I would like to talk to this guy one day. If this is an actual person, what were you thinking when you found this and you hid it again? This is really clever what he does. 
He finds it, he hides it again, and then he goes and he sells everything he has. Now, is he sad about selling all of his stuff? No. The Bible says he does it in his joy. And then he takes the money from what the stuff he sold, and then what does he do? Does he buy the treasure? No. He does not buy the treasure. Presumably because he can't afford the treasure. He goes and he buys the field that has the treasure in it. Clever. What he gives up is not as valuable as what he gets. That's why he has such joy. And so this kingdom of heaven example that we're given is something of great joy that even though it cost the man everything he had, he still got a better deal. The spiritual applications are just so obvious. So the kingdom of heaven requires us to give up everything we have to get something far better. It's an, it's an easy choice. It's a, it's a bargain. It's a deal. Let me pick on a brother. He doesn't go in here anymore, but some of you may know him, so I'm going to try not to use his name. I'm tempted. Man, I'm tempted. <laughs> I'm going to try not to. So he used to use this example, and he talked about marriage. And I want some of you married men. I'm going to give you a heads up, all right? This is going to be a time for you to nod and say amen in just a little bit. He used to use it. Did somebody already say it? He used to use this example. He used to talk about marriage as being giving up the many and saying yes to the one. That's what he would say. You say no to the many and yes to the one. That was his example of how marriage worked. Now, here's what was always funny to me. I knew this guy, and I knew his wife, and it's pretty obvious to everybody. I'm like, who are the many you're talking about? Dude, you didn't have that many choices. Like, let's be honest. You didn't. You got a good deal. Now, how many of you married men in here know that you got a good deal? All right, there you go, there you go, there you go. It works so much more with our relationship with God. I see brothers in the back raising their hand. That's right. That's right. They know. Your husband know. He got a good deal. Church, what we give up, our lives before Jesus Christ, it's worthless. It doesn't compare to what you get in the kingdom. Now, you will get yourself into all kinds of trouble when you start reminiscing and thinking that what you had before was better than what you have now. Y'all brothers know what I'm talking about? Don't do it. Y'all Christians know what I'm talking about? Don't do that because your life in Jesus Christ is immensely better than your life before because now you have the hope of salvation. You have the hope of spending eternity in heaven with God. So, he had great joy. Church, do you have great joy? Because it's always become a, a mark of spirituality to be miserable. It's almost like that's the standard. If you're going to be a Christian, you should be miserable. You should be uncomfortable. Get out of your comfort zone. Whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you comfortable, stop that. Go do something else and make you miserable. That's not a mark of piety. You should have great joy. People should see your joy. Your coworkers should see your joy. Your family members should see your joy. Because it's a lot easier to look joyful at work sometimes. But our family really know who we are. 
God should see your joy. It should be obvious. Got a couple more points. Let me move on. Been talking about the kingdom of God. I've been talking how this is where we truly belong. We talked about how we don't deserve it. We can't afford it, even if we give up everything that we have. Let's talk about how we get into the kingdom. This is a very familiar section of Scripture, a very familiar section of our sermon, but I feel like you haven't preached a sermon if you don't tell people how to get into Jesus Christ. That's not the gospel. If I tell you that God is great and that you're not, and I don't tell you how to get right, that's not a sermon. There's no good news in that. So let's look. John chapter 3. Let's look at John chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 3, and then we'll jump down to verse 5. In John chapter 3, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He comes to him at night, and he starts the conversation off with some flattery. Tells Jesus some good things about himself. Jesus gets right to the point. And in verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now in verse 4, Nicodemus acts confused. Jesus doesn't let him off the hook in verse 5. He says, excuse me, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Simple. Very simple. You cannot even see the kingdom of God unless you're born of the water and the Spirit. Church, what does that mean? That means baptism. Now, we didn't invent baptism. Jesus did. And so when he says you can't see the kingdom of heaven, you can't see the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit, and somebody tells you something else, who are you going to believe? I hope you believe Jesus. If somebody says, well, you just need to be a good person, as long as your good deeds outnumber your bad deeds, you'll be all right. Show me that in the Bible. But somebody says, okay, look, I got this prayer. You go to a concert, they want you to pray a prayer. The music was great, but now they want you to pray Jesus into your heart. Show me that in the Bible. Some people want you to have some sort of religious experience. Fall on the ground, handle a snake, do something bizarre, who knows? Show me that in the Bible. Jesus says you cannot enter the kingdom without being born of the water and the spirit, and anyone who tells you something different is lying. Amen? It's simple. Let's just do what Jesus said to do. That's how you get into the kingdom. Now, it doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. It's kind of like graduation. Graduation is a beginning. It's not an end. Some people get that confused. They say, oh, I graduated. Great. That's like getting hired for a job. Congratulations, you're hired. Now let's get to work. You have stuff to do now. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So getting in the kingdom of heaven is not about lip service. It's not about saying the right stuff. It's easy to have the right answers. What are you actually doing? We're commanded to actually do the will of the Father. 
He has a job for us. He wants us to be his representatives. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I want to implore you this morning, be reconciled to God. He is the one true God. He is the one true king. Psalm 47 verse 8 says, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need us. We need him. I like this verse in Psalm chapter 50, verse 12. For God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and everything in it. He doesn't need us. We need him. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. Thank God he wants us. Amen? I'm going to wrap this sermon up. Today is July 3rd. I've called this sermon State of the Kingdom, which is a clear take on State of the Union. It's not that clever. I admit that. It's a sermon. It doesn't have to be clever. So July 3rd, one day away from our nation's Independence Day. But don't wait till tomorrow. Declare your independence from sin today. Exercise your freedom in Christ today. And when you repent, the Bible says there'll be greater celebration in heaven over the one who repents. It'll be better than any fireworks display. State of the kingdom. The kingdom is strong. The kingdom is eternal. The kingdom is everlasting. But are you in it? That's the real question. Are you in the kingdom? If there's anything that we can do as a body of believers, if you have prayer requests, if you want to get right with God, if you need to get baptized, we'll study with you. I see some elders sitting in here. We'll study with you. Am I right? We'll baptize you today. You can have a new life in Jesus Christ today. Please join us as we stand and sing.